The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and this is episode number 188. And today we have a guest, but first... When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatments can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, evidence-based, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addictions. For more information, call one 231 5924. Today we have an interesting interview. At least I think it's going to be very interesting. The gentleman's name is Don Cummins. And a few short years ago, like about nine years ago, he was homeless and he was addicted to crack. He got himself clean. He had a moment of awakening and he began to reach out for help. And that's really the first step for anyone who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. So he reached out and his life began to do a complete 180. He's now married. He has a good job. He's written a book and he's also developed some courses to help those who are suffering from addiction. I can't wait to talk to him. Let's talk to Don Cummins. So Don Cummins. Thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast and tell your story. I will say, I always give a little bit of a bio before I do the interview, and I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm super excited to hear your story because what I know so far, it's a really good story. So thank you. Thank you so much, Joni, for having me on the show. I'm very glad to be here. Awesome. Now, I'm a little bit afraid to ask this question because I know that you started at a very young age um, doing drugs. And But tell us how old you were and how you got started, who introduced you to it, and how your story progressed from there. Uh, sure. I was, I was 10 years old uh, the first time I, I got high. And-, and I have to tell you, I have so much trouble with that. I mean, my granddaughter is seven, and I just... Okay. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. I, I look back on it and for the longest I I didn't think it was a big deal. You know, it seemed very natural to me. And looking back now, uh with the perspective of being a father nowadays, and um it's very frightening uh to think that I, I began at that age, you know. Um, you know, when I grew up, my I I I had a great family and I do have a great family. My my father and mother loved me and I never doubted that. Uh, but they went through their own phase when I was young of, of uh, in the 70s and early 70s, getting high and, and doing their thing. And I was exposed to some stuff that I probably shouldn't have been. And um, I experienced some trauma and witnessed some violent things when I was young. And, and um, I found myself around the age of, you know, nine, 10, feeling very uncomfortable in my own skin. And also very curious about what I had witnessed going on for a few years. And I wanted to try it, too. And so when I had an opportunity, I, I stole some drugs uh, uh, from a friend of my parents and I got high and um, there was a group of kids. who. What did you take, Don? It, it, was, it? it, was, uh, it was pot, weed. Um, I smoked uh, some weed before I brought it to school. And there were a group of kids at, at Safety Harbor Middle School, uh, where I went to middle school at, who got high around this, this big oak tree uh, just across the street from the school. And I thought that was my chance to connect and be cool and uh, to bring my own and have something to offer. And I did. And um, so I was right in with the crowd, you know, and uh, um, that was that was the beginning for me. Um, when I got high, I I was amazed at how how powerful I felt and how um, I was I was really liking the way that reality had suddenly changed. And I felt like I had something in common with people. I found my tribe and um and that's how it started for me. You know, it's interesting. We, it, everybody's story of addiction is different, but there are similarities. And it's interesting when people talk about how the, um, the, the culture that they get into with the drugs, there are agreements there, and it's a group. And it's, it becomes sort of a pseudo family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sounds like that happened to you as well. 
Definitely. Yes. I, you know, my, my parents had, um, they got clean, you know, they stopped using drugs uh, a couple of years before I, I picked up and part of me kind of felt nostalgic with this new group, group of friends that I had. They were kind of like my parents and my family and the situations I had been around used to be. And I thought it was cool. You know, um, they all had long hair and my parents used to have long hair and were hippie-ish. And so it was kind of throwback for me. And I, I felt really at home and comfortable with my new friends. Right. Did your parents have any idea what was going on at that young age? An age? They, they did pretty quickly. Um, because for me, things, things, I became an immediate train wreck and I began skipping school almost immediately. I would get high before school at lunchtime and then after school with my new friends. And I began skipping school, sneaking out at night. And I got arrested for a public intoxication when I was uh, 11 or maybe 12. I, I was, and, uh, started sneaking out at night and meeting my friends and, um, cruising the streets and hanging out with older people. And so they were, they didn't know what to do. They, they were very scared for me. And so, um, I, they, they took me to a program, uh, in St. Petersburg called straight incorporated when I was 13 years old and, and they had me committed there in, involuntarily. And so, um, that's, uh, that's how, how bad it got and how, how quickly it, it progressed for me. And what was that like being at a, in a treatment facility against your will? Yeah, it was, um, it was, for me, it was traumatic. You know, I, I knew that I was out of control and I knew that, um, that I kind of deserved it in a way is the way I looked at it at the time. I felt like I was a, a horrible son. Uh, I, I thought that I was a bad kid and that I deserved this. But at the same time, um, you know, my mom, I had been through, I'd been to two different schools already. I had been expelled from Safety Harbor Middle and another, another school as well for possession of drugs. And so um, when she told me that we're going to a new school, I, I didn't think anything of it. And when I got there, I was surprised and to learn that I had just been committed to an inpatient drug program. And I, I, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. It was like the worst thing, you know, I, I, my stomach sunk and I just was, I felt abandoned and, um, I wanted to, I wanted to do good. I wanted to turn my life around very badly at that moment. And, uh, and I tried, I made a, a good effort at it. Um, but I, I, I just, I had a lot of issues aside from addiction, you know, and, and that were kind of like the rocket fuel of my addiction. Uh, just, I was lost inside. And, and uh, so I, I started running away uh, from the program and that's when I began getting in trouble with the law, you know, stealing bicycles to get away or stealing a car to get away. And I would wind up in juvenile hall and uh, different youth programs and, you know, my parents hoped that after a couple months that I would come home again and I would be uh, not necessarily fixed, but I would be, you know, <laughs> on the mend, so to speak. And uh, I pretty much never came home again after that. Um, wow. The rest of my, my, my teenage years was spent in juvenile hall and in prison, youthful offender prison. And, and um, so it was pretty tragic for me. What a heartbreak as well for your parents. I can't, I just, I can't imagine it's it's why we do the podcast is to hopefully prevent other parents from having to go through not only what your parents went through but also the ones whose kids die of overdose it's just scary and just to comment on something that you said and this is another thing we've talked about in the podcast many many times is drugs are a solution mm -hmm. the drugs are not really the problem there's something that led to the drug use as you well know in your own life but Okay, so how old are you now in this story, and what happened next? Um, okay, well, in the in the where we're at now, I'm 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 15, and I'm um, I'm a habitual runaway, and I'm in the uh, state reformatory for boys at Okeechobee Boys School, which is really a a youthful offender prison. There's uh, prison gates around it and barbed wire, and if you get over the fence, they chase you with guns and dogs. So it's not a school. Um, and I escaped. That's not the one where they found bodies. Is it, it is. Yes. There were, there were two of them. One was in, in, uh, Northern Florida and Okeechobee was like the, the, the sibling school of that. And yes, they, they have found, um, uh, there was a lot of abuse there at the time, especially in the sixties and seventies. And it, there was a, a lot of bad stuff happening when I was there as well, you know, and I remember it. And, um, uh, so, yeah, horrible situation. 
Wow. So I ran away from there. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> so I, 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 um, I, um, okay. I think that's okay. Yeah. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I think that sounded like a, from what I've read about that place, it was a good place to run away from. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, and I, I, I wound up getting in more trouble. I stole a car to get away. And by that time I had 32 arrests on my juvenile record. And so the, the judge, um, he certified me as an adult and they sentenced me to two years in prison. Uh, and so I entered in uh, the Florida State Prison up in Rayford at, at the age of 16 uh, for my first prison sentence. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's. Uh, oh my goodness. Wow. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have a comment. I don't know what to say. That's just such a heartbreak. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it was. I, I, um, I, you know, um, when I look back now at that and, and the rest of my, my prison time as well, um, I get asked a lot about like, what was prison like? What was, uh, what was it like to be there? And, and, you know, I could, you know, talk about things that I saw or that I experienced and, and kind of like movie stuff, you know, things that you see in the movies, violence and confrontations and, you know, um, it, all, all, all of which would be true. Um, but the biggest thing through, through the lens that I have nowadays is seeing how lost I was and how, how, um, how badly I wanted to, uh, to try to impress and the walls that I put up to prevent people from getting to know who I truly was because I was afraid, you know, as was everyone else there. Uh, fear was the biggest uh, motivator in my decision-making and in my interaction with other people and how I presented myself because I wanted to protect myself. I didn't have drugs anymore. And so I had to try to act tough. Um, and I tried to use my skills in playing guitar or whatever to make friends who would, uh, you know, to help me out if I needed it. And, you know, I became very much chameleon, like uh, whatever the situation was to, to, to get along and to adapt and, and to survive, you know? And um, so that, that that just reinforced everything that I had going on already inside. And um, so, yeah. So 16 years old, you're in prison. Yes. As an adult, I don't understand. I don't understand how that can be okay and legal. Yeah, it, it, it's, I don't believe it's okay, um, but it was legal. And the, the law, and I, I don't know what it's like today, but if you get in too much trouble um, and they believe that you're of an age that, that, you know, if they decide that, that you appear to be of an age where you can understand right from wrong well enough and, um, and they believe that you're not um, capable of being rehabilitated, then and they, they did that frequently uh, for kids who got in just in trouble one too many times. And, and um, you know, I, I, I made it through that without any major incidences, but I'm, I, I know of kids and I, 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 that, that did not, you know, that were uh, violently abused and who committed suicide. And, you know, um, adult prison is not a place for, for teenagers. And um, so there's a reason why it's called adult prison. And so, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's tragic. And so. Um, wow. And how long were you there? Uh, two years. And I got out just shy of 18 and, um, I, I was going to try to do the right thing. And I promised my family that I would do better. And, um, I, I got in trouble right away. Uh, I started using drugs again. And, um, so I, I lasted maybe a week or two, uh, living at home after all those years. And, and I, I, um, I wound up going to Colorado, uh, to live with some family. And I thought that a change in location would change things. And, and it didn't, you know, I started using harder drugs and, um, so I, that's when I began using cocaine and uh, uh, speed, and, 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 and um, I hadn't started using crack yet at that time, but I, I would go on binges. You know, I, I would binge use, and I, um, uh, I just would, my life became a total wreck, and, and I decided I needed another uh, change of location, so I went to Los Angeles. I hitchhiked out there, and I brought my guitar, and I was going to be... Uh, successful in, in music. So that was my, my change of plans there for a while. And how did that go? Um, I, I, it didn't work out as I planned. <laughs> um, I, I wound up homeless and I wound up becoming a crackhead. 
and I wound up um, shooting drugs and, you know, I got pretty desperate. I wound up dumpster diving and, um, you know, sometimes when I needed needles, I would, I would, I would find needles in, in the trash in the back of a veterinarian's office. You know, I would do whatever I could to get high. And um, eventually I, I, I met a, met a, a girl who, thought I would be a good fixer upper. And, uh, so I got in a relationship and, uh, she used to, and, and, um, after a year or so, um, I, I, I became very detached from reality and I became psychotic because of the long binges that I went on. And I don't know where it happened, but somewhere along the line, I, I began to think that the FBI was watching me, that the CIA was messing with me. And it was always in conjunction with being up three or four days on, on drugs. And, um, I, I, I started doing robberies and uh, uh, at some grocery stores and a few other places. And um, I, somewhere along the line, I, I thought that I was involved in my mind. And, and it's confusing when I look back on it now, but I, I thought that I was involved in a government plot, you know, as crazy as that sounds. And I, I, I wound up robbing two banks and going in there and demanding money. And I, I, I got sentenced to federal time for that, and I did I did four years uh, for that uh, out. In, and what what age were you then when you did those four years? Uh, I was that was eighty seven, so I was uh, I was uh, nineteen at that time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow, you really approached this drug thing full on. I did. I went all in and. Um, I sure did. Okay, so now you're in federal penitentiary for robbing banks. Yes. And how how long were you there? For, four for years, you said. Almost four years. Um, you earned good time off of your sentence, and and I did. Uh, I earned maybe, uh, I think seven or eight months, and so I got out. Actually, three and a half, a little over three and a half, and and I came home to Tampa Bay, and um, so I I moved in at my parents' house, and um, it was my my. I was done with my time and, and I, I swore to myself and my family that um, I was done. I was not going to use. And, and in my mind, what that meant to me is that I was not going to use that one drug that kept making me go, go, go wild, you know, and, uh, but it was okay if I just drank a little bit or I smoked a little weed or whatever uh, in my mind. And so, um, um, you know, I, I, I was very handicapped when I got out though. I didn't, you know, I wasn't too skilled socially. I didn't have any skills uh, uh, or trade or anything like that. And um, I decided my best bet was to to, to get into music again. And, and my brother plays drums. And so we're going to get into a band and we're going to make it big and start here in Tampa Bay and go national. And, you know, I like to write songs and I like to sing. And so um, I thought we would do that. And, and um, so I, I we, we did for a minute. And I wound up joining another band and, and, and they did a lot of cocaine and, you know, I did it that one time and two weeks later I was shooting it. And, um, within a few months I had been charged with six bank robberies, uh, right here in Tampa Bay. And, um, I was sentenced to 22 years as a career criminal, uh, at the age of 23, I believe. And so once again, I found myself, um, you know, in a real, real serious situation. And I knew I had messed up. I, I will never forget the weight of how it felt to get a sentence like that and to be, you know, in my cell and uh, knowing that, that I was, uh, I had a, a very long appointment for the next couple of decades. And um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you're only 21 and you're getting sentenced to 22 years. That's like your whole lifetime. Yeah. Oh, wow. How much time did you end up doing? I did 15 on that, almost 15. Wow. And um, for me, you know, that time when I, I went in, you know, you would think that um, I would I would learn my lesson that giving someone a, a bunch of time like that uh, would really jolt them. Um, and maybe some people it does, but for me, it, 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 it did in some ways and it, it didn't in others. You know, I, I, I finally realized that there was something wrong <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 23 and I'm, 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 I'm a classified as a career criminal and I have 20 years to do. And, um, I, 
I, 22 actually, I was sentenced in, in Manatee County uh, to an additional two years. Um, I realized that there was, it's not normal to be my age and to be in prison for bank robbery for the next 20 years, you know? And, and um, so I started doing some, some soul searching, you know, I, I, I educated myself and I began reading uh, a lot of, a lot of history and religion and psychology and trying to find out, you know, uh, who I am and, and what I believe in and, and what will work for me. Um, so I don't wind up in a place like this again. And I, I tried to exercise a lot so that when I got out, I would, I would, um, you know, uh, be okay. And, um, you know, be able to function and, and, and be fresh and full of energy. And I envisioned myself getting out and just being successful despite all of that. And, um, so um, I, I, I switched religions a few times and always learning and seeing things differently. And halfway through, I kind of developed a worldview that I still have. But, but the thing was, it, it was all in my, it was, it was, in, it was intellectual, you know, it wasn't uh, deep within, you know, the journey never made it that 18 inches or whatever to my heart. Um, and so um, I had just basically signed on to some belief systems. And so um, when I did get out, I, um, things were different. My, uh, my, 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 we didn't have much when I, when I was young and when I came up, but my parents had done well, uh, during that 15 years and, and, uh, they had a rental, uh, home that they rented out in safety Harbor. And, uh, they said, Don, you can, we, we, we want to give you the best possible chance to succeed at Um, I get I get choked up every time I, I talk about that because uh, my parents loved me so much and they were dismayed by the the what had happened to me you know as a parent I I kind of I get that now and uh, um, they just wanted to help me and and so they did I when I went in there was no internet and when I came out there was and there were cell phones and just everything had changed and, and my my parents they 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 got they put me up in this house and my dad got me a cell phone and a, and a laptop and and helped me out with a car and got me a, a membership to the Safety Harbor Spa so I could just go a few blocks and work out and 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 I they set me up and I had everything going for me you know and but what I didn't know and what what they didn't know is the the depths that within that this thing had a, a grip on me you know and I really had never got to the root of it or or dealt with my, my, my core issues that were, you know, like a rocket fuel to my addiction. And, and, um, you know, I, 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 I felt very alone after I got out, you know, I got a good job and I, um, started working, but I, I was very self-conscious of, um, you know, how different I was than everyone around me. And it was a secret and I didn't want to let my coworkers know and, um, dating, you know, that was like, I wanted to, get a girlfriend and I wanted to get married and I wanted to be a good guy and to be like my dad and my grandfather. And, uh, but it was a catch 22 because, you know, what if I, I can't, how do I, how do I get over that? And by the way, you know, um, um, I've been in prison the past 15 years for bank robbery and, but do you still want to date me? And, um, you know, so that's a huge, that's a tough conversation. To it's have. a very tough conversation to have. And, you know, you don't want to wait six months to spring it on them. And then, you know, and then and then my thought was if 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 a woman wanted to date me, then you know what's wrong with her? You know, if you if you did really get to know me, you know, <laughs> you're not going to be the mother of my kids. You know, so it's uh it was um it was really it was it was it was quite a spot to be in to to have to, you know, for me because I had these you know huge walls up anyway, and and um, I tried to overcompensate by thinking I was a tough guy and I was a badass and and. Uh, and, um, you know, so that was hard and, and, and I didn't know how to, how to let people in and I wound up being isolated and alone and depressed and I wound up getting high. I would go to work and come home and get high alone in my house and just smoking weed and, and I told myself I'll never, you know, smoke crack again, uh, but I did, you know, and, uh, and I went through the whole thing all over again, you know, um, I was in my I was 42 and having been through everything that I had gone through, I, I did it again. And I went on a, a psychotic binge and I wound up robbing a bank, the same bank that I had robbed 18 years prior, right there in safety Harbor, Florida. And, um, so, um, 
I came full circle on that. <laughs> and um, wow. I wound up going to a, a, a mental health facility. Um, the court sent me to a program in, in St. Petersburg, um, an outpatient program, and they began taking me to meetings. And uh, that's when my process of recovery began. Yeah. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. I believe I read, you know, I'm sorry, one of the things we always look at on this podcast is what was your aha moment or your point of no return where you said if I don't change I'm gonna die or something horrible I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in prison or I can turn my life around and I think that that it happened in one of these meetings for you didn't it 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 did um it took a while and 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 you know I started going to these meetings and I started seeing people who I identified with you know, I always looked at the differences between myself and other people. And I had a mental posture of fear, you know, and, um, you know, I was, I was afraid as I, as I mentioned. And, uh, but for the first time I, I, I started having hope that, um, that despite all I had been through, you know, and, and I had a lot of self-loathing, you know, because I blamed myself and I thought I was a horrible person because I, I had good parents who loved me and I had all these opportunities and I had just, I just, you know, um, still went back to the same thing over and over again. And I thought that, that that really proved who I was, that I am the move that I make, you know. And obviously my destiny, I thought, was just a crash and burn. And the best case scenario I thought often about myself is that I will serve as an example of what not to do. And um, I thought that was kind of like my fate, you know. And um, so anyway, I had all this stuff and... and um, I, I, I continued to use every once in a while, not as much because I was in a program and I had some court restrictions on me. Um, but when I did, I, I did hard and I, I would wake up in a crisis unit or, or, or homeless in an alleyway. And it just, it was a really, it was dangerous. I was really close to death on many occasions. And um, I, um, the last time, you know, that I had a, an incident like that, I wound up on um 34th uh, Street in St. Pete at night running on the median thinking that people were chasing me with guns and uh, almost stumbling into oncoming traffic and it was busy and it was, you know, I wound up, uh, uh, I wound up uh, having the police call on me and they took me to a a PEMS, uh, a crisis unit. And um, I had a sponsor and I I, I called him from there and and we talked and and he invited me to go to a a recovery workshop and um, I went and the topic was just um, the topic of conversation was self-centered fear. And it was, as they described it as being at the root of a lot of the dysfunction that is not specific to re- to drug addiction, but many things, you know, and, and uh, but 
in, in the context of addiction that, that, that is, it's like the, the, the core issue for many addicts. And, and uh, I identified with that and I didn't really understand it at first, but I started thinking about it and I didn't hear anything at the meeting <laughs> but from that point on. I was just in my own head and I, 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 I thought about how, um, you know, how was I, how, what is, what is, I thought that self-centeredness to me had meant like selfishness, but I, I kind of had an insight and I saw that it meant that I was really, really just focused on myself being fearful. And, 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 and I saw that and I said, well, why am I so afraid? You know, and then I realized that I was insecure. I realized that I, 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 I hated myself and that I thought that I was a horrible person. And, and I was just struck by that because I, I could never admit that to myself. I, I would tell myself whatever I could about myself to feel better about myself and I would buy it, you know, and, and, um, but I didn't that day. And I, I, um, I, 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 I realized that, that I was not a horrible person. I had the insight that I was just as good as anybody else. And regardless of what I had been through and I, I saw that, that I had greatness within me, you know, and that, um, I get choked up when I remember it because it was such a, a pivotal moment. It was like a spiritual experience, you know? And um, yeah. I, I saw that, that, uh, that I had a right to have a, a, an awesome life, you know, and to have connection and to have love in my life and that I was not a bad person. And so uh, yeah. I, I saw that I was worth fighting for, I like to say. And, 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 and so uh, the next time, uh, just, a, just days later, I, I, I went into a, a homeless shelter, HEP, it's in Clearwater, um, mm-hmm. down by Betty Lane and all of that. And um, I, I went there and uh, a couple of days later, they gave me a bus pass and um, I, they handed it to me. And um, I remember, <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday, I, I, uh, I knew that I could walk a few blocks over and trade that bus pass for, for crack. And up to that point, every time in my life when, well, you know, as an addict, I, I would get $10 or $20 or something I could use to get drugs with. Physically, I, I would experience like my stomach would go in knots and my knees would get weak and I would feel like I had to take a shit. You know, I mean, that's just how visceral it was with me. And um, and I experienced the same thing. But um, but this time and, and I would I would always just just react and go do it. The thought of asking for help or not doing it wouldn't it was like the, the, the moon had come out and I was the wolf man, you know, and I just turned into something else. And, but this time after having had that experience, I, I had like a, some space to think about it. And I realized that I, I, I no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And I didn't know how to, anyway, I, I heard my sponsor's voice in my head saying, um, you know, it's just a feeling you can get through it. It'll pass call me, you know, if you can call me, it might save your life. And so I did, you know, and I, I get the voicemail, but just by taking that action, you know, it, that whole feeling left me. And I realized that, that, uh, um, that I can get through some tough feelings and I can get through some discomfort and I don't even have to understand the why of it all. I just have to, uh, just hold on, reach out for help and, and I'll get through that. And, uh, and so for the first time I was able to not use when, when that urge hit me. And, uh, and it was at that point, my life began to do a, a, an amazing 180, you know, and uh, I'm so grateful for wow. that experience. <laughs> wow. Seriously. I mean, and you're right. Everything you say, you're a good person. You're worth it. You deserve to have a great life. And I think, I think that sometimes when people are addicted, they lose track of that. And, you know, it's an in, a editorial comment. You know, parents, when their kids become addicted, typically the first thing they do is feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I was fully aware until you talked about it, how guilty the addict feels with continuing the addiction and with knowing that they have a good family and they have parents who love them. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's almost like if you both could get together and talk about your guilt, but I know that's, I mean, that's an easy way of saying it, but anyway, you are, you are absolutely right. And, and you know, what we've said again on the podcast is, you know, when someone is an addict, they're not a bad person. They've made some bad choices. Mm. We all make bad choices in our life Mm. and, but you're a good person. Yeah. 
And I'm glad you realized that because you are. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm very glad I realized it too. And um, I found that for me and, and, um, and that's the, the, like the core of when I, when I share my story and I talk about, um, you know, recovery, you know, recovery means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some, it just means getting off drugs. For some, it means recovering from um, abuse, you know, or trauma, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that the idea of recovery is applied, but the, the commonality I see to all of it, and a lot of other things in life is that looking at myself, like I'm a bad person, or I don't deserve it, or I'm not worthy. It's just, that's the, 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 the basis of so much dysfunction, you know, and self-forgiveness and, and acceptance is so, so crucial to, to healing and finding, you know, finding healing. And, and for me, um, it it's it's mind boggling, you know, where my my life has gone since then, and um, how that gave me a foundation to to build something that that uh, I still look back and I I can't believe I mean I'm telling my story, but I I can't believe that that was me, and um, I do, um, <laughs> but. It- I can't believe it either. I mean, I look at you and I can't believe it. I'm going to ask you when we're all done with this, if you'll send me a before picture, if you have a before picture, because yeah, because I can't believe it. I mean, I know it's true. I don't disbelieve what you're saying, but when I look at you, it's hard to imagine, you know, what you were like back then because yeah. And such something that everybody listening has to grasp their, their importance, their greatness, their, they're deserving of what's good. Yes. Totally. Anyway. Totally. So what happened after that? Well, I, I was living at the homeless shelter and um, I got involved. I had a, a sponsor, a mentor that I was working with who had, uh, uh, he was in recovery as well. And I would, during that time of my life, I was very excited just to just to be alive. And I was going to a lot of meetings, recovery meetings, and I was taking the bus there and taking the bus to meet with my sponsor once a week to do work. You know, uh, I would have writing assignments and we would talk about it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I had friends that kind of got me and I, I, I got them and, and I felt a newness in my life and like great things were. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, I totally get it. Yeah. I, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, I had only known, you know, one life and now I was getting a taste of, you know, how things could, could be, you know? And, uh, so anyway, I, I, um, I, uh, I started doing work with my sponsor and getting to the, you know, you know, just because I had that insight, um, it was enough to give me some space, but I still had a lot of work to do. You know, I, Still had a lot of, you know, I was triggered often, you know, by something would happen and I would take it personal. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have a lot of tools, you know. Um, and so I learned some tools to cope and to deal with things. And, and gradually, you know, I got some relief, you know, and all these negative feelings and, and um, um, beliefs that I had about myself uh, through talking about it with another person and being transparent and being honest and being willing to look at those things. Um, and I was able to apply the principles that I learned um, in, in all my relationships uh, at work. You know, at, um, I was <laughs> at first I was an SSI as well because I had been declared to be insane by the courts pretty much. And so, um, what's an SSI? Uh, social secure supplemental social income, or I forget the exact. It's, it's disability. You know, okay. and um, so I was I was on that, and um, I didn't want to be on it, and um, uh, you know I I at the homeless shelter at, at HEP and, and, and my, my, my sponsor, they said, well, you know, uh, I wanted to get out and work right away. And uh, they said, I think, I think for you, it might be good just to take a year, you know, and focus on recovery and doing this work and, and you'll pay society back a hundred times over, you know, if you do that. And, and so I did. And uh, when I, <laughs> when I got out of the uh, homeless shelter, I, I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, they, you know, had recommended some programs for me to go into. And I, I've been to so many programs. I was like, man, I, I, I really felt like this is it this time. I, I don't need to go to a program. And, and uh, somebody, I got talking to somebody and, and there was a, uh, uh, someone uh, in, 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 in Pinellas County that had a llama farm and they needed someone to feed the llamas and take care of them in exchange for room and board. And, and, uh, and I went there and I found myself on a llama farm and with plenty of time to write and to, to kind of be in nature and uh, play my guitar and, 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 uh, 
it was a really great time for me. And um, so I kind of uh, got my stuff together a little bit. And then, and then after some months, I, I, I rented a room in Clearwater. And, and, and um, so things, things went from there. I went back to school um, uh, uh, for software development. Um, I met my, my, who would become my wife. And, uh, <laughs> and life really got, it was just so exciting for me to be living finally. You know, um, I, uh, I found an entry level job, uh, doing software development, uh, in Clearwater for a, a startup company. And, um, I, uh, I was myself and there was one other developer there. Um, and, uh, they hired me and, um, um, and, and the funny thing is, is I had worked for a telemarketing company prior to that and I wound up quitting because they spoke to us very poorly. You know, I, they just, you know, you, you'll, you'd never be able to find another job and, and this and that, and you're lucky to be here and, you know, get your ass to work. And I, I, they really talked down to us and I, I quit on the spot and, and, um, I had just gotten married and <laughs> my wife was pregnant and, um, with our first son, Levi. And the last thing I wanted to do is quit a job. Uh, in that situation, I would find another one first. And I didn't have my degree for software development yet. So I didn't know, you know, what am I going to do? And, 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 uh, but I felt like I, that, that he had crossed the line and I couldn't work in that situation because I, I, I owed it to myself not to, not to, not to, uh, be around that. And so, uh, anyway, I, I found this other job and they hired me. I got an entry level programming job without the degree, despite my past, you know, and, um, you know, the company wound up, uh, uh, blowing up and we, we went international and, and, uh, you know, we hired new developers and I, I worked with them and got to know them and, uh, helped them. And, and I wound up, <laughs> you know, I wound up becoming the director of software development for, you know, an, an international financial services company that, that makes software that integrates with banks. So, uh, it was a kind of full circle and, uh, yeah, when when I read that, I was like, yeah. "Wait a second! He was a bank robber. Now he's working on software for banks." Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's um it's uh it's kind of crazy, you know. But uh, and and I, you know, I'm not like I I, you know, I'm not I'm not a business guy, you know. I don't I don't uh, or I'm not a corporate guy either in a lot of ways, and you know, I just focused on 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 applying the principles I had learned and being honest and helping people. And I found that my, my team liked me and they respected me and, you know, and, and, and it, it just, I just tried to, to, to lead and help people and uh, more than, you know, uh, having a position or authority or, you know, a bunch of technical expertise because guys that we hired knew way more than me. And uh, so um, things worked out and I became a homeowner and my son Levi was born and then Finley and, you know, um, you know, I was just, you know, um, very amazed. It's it, to me, it's like miraculous the the life that I wound up with, and uh, all of it went back to you know that day that I, I realized that I was good enough and that I was okay, and that was my that was my point of no return, you know. Yep. So it, it's huge, and it's the type of message that we're trying to put out, or not trying to put out, we're putting out, and hoping to reach people who are addicted or who know somebody who's addicted and you know, you're important. You are important. And it's so easy to get into a mindset where you don't think you are and you don't think you deserve a good life and you don't think you deserve a good wife and a good job and two sons. It's, it's just not true. You deserve it all. Mm. And I'm glad that you Don had that realization because look at where you're at now you have a wife and a home and two wonderful sons and not only that i want to know about your book and i want to know about the courses that i saw online sure um well first i i i before all of that i i um i came to a a place where i i began to kind of get a little fearful, you know, because I, I, I was kind of like living a double life. You know, I was the guy <laughs> that lived down the street and I have a house and I have two cars and my, my wife's a yoga teacher. And, and, and I was afraid that my, you know, my wife's friends would find out about me. And I was afraid that my neighbors would find out and, and my coworkers, you know, and I gotten close to some of them and a couple, few of them knew, but the whole company, I don't think knew. And, um, you know, I, 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 
I was invited to speak by my company and, and tell my story at some of the high schools here in Florida. And I did. And um, I realized that, that I had to tell my story, you know, that it would help people. And I'd already wanted to do that. And I was just not sure of how I wanted to go about it. And so this opportunity presented itself and I did. And, and um, so I, I kind of struggled with some things for a while about, well, what is my message and what do I, you know, how do I kind of keep it on the down low and, and, and do that and still have all of this. And, and um, so anyway, I, I decided, uh, uh, to take a risk and, and to take a leap of faith and, and just kind of come out, you know? And, um, so I did, I, I posted on social media that I was coming out of the closet and that would be a good attention grabber. I figured, and, and it was, and I told my story and, uh, you know, I was amazed at, you know, that I had been a bank robber, that I had been insane and I had done all that time in prison and, and that's, and I had a moment of awakening, you know, and, and, and things have been different. And, and, uh, I, I did that and I was amazed at the, um, the feedback that I got, you know, people were, um, they, they, some, someone at work stopped me in the hallway and said, man, I'm honored to know someone like you. That's amazing. You know, and, and it wasn't a bunch of rejection and, and, and I, I didn't get fired and I didn't, you know, things, things were good. And, and, um, so I, I began speaking at the, at the schools and, and, uh, um, I began writing my book and, and, and um, I went through a few rounds of that. Uh, it's telling my story. It's a memoir, you know, and I found out that I could write, you know, and um, um, I got an editor and, and they coached me a little bit and, and uh, sent me back to the drawing board a few times. And, and uh, you know, I worked on it early in the morning when I had a minute and, um, uh, and it late at night here and there. And, and so um, um, anyway, I, I, I did, I, did I, I, I published a book. It's, it'll be out uh, November 20th and it's called the prison within a memoir of breaking free. And it tells my story. Um, and it's, it's gritty and it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's real. And it, it talks about the inward journey just in the same kind of way that I've been talking about it here. Um, it tells, there's some stories in there that are, that are hardcore, but at the heart of it, it's, it's talking about the, the, the journey, you know, the inward journey and, and, uh, and I believe that it will help somebody. And, and uh, absolutely, I have certainty it will. And you said it's coming out November twentieth. Yes, yes, November twentieth. I'm kind of ramping up to for the launch now, and um, so I'm, I'm I'm very excited about it. And um, I uh, uh, and and I I I created an online version of the presentation I was doing in the high schools uh, called the Hero Within, and that's at uh, thehero.within.org. Um, and uh, uh, it's uh, links to a free course that anyone can sign up for and, and, and go through. And, and uh, it just talks about, um, you know, uh, the hero's journey, basically, and uses Hollywood and movies as an illustration of this, you know, how we vicariously, uh, secretly desire to be a hero, to overcome odds and to, to win the day and, and uh, how we all have greatness within us and we are meant to be a hero and, and uh, we, we want to be and, and, and that's, that's really what we have a right to be that and to, to, to be, be there for other people and to be strong. And, and so it talks about those things. And uh, so I have some talks about that in this course and uh, it's kind of aimed at high school students, but it really could, you know, probably anybody could get something out of it. So. Um, Sounds like it. Okay. So the book is the prison within and um, I made note of the date, but you have our email. If you could just remind us when it's coming out sure. so that we can, sure. you know, include it in the, our weekly email. The podcasts are done so far in advance. I might not be able to mention on the podcast, but I can definitely put it in our email. Okay. And then The Hero Within is the, um, the free course that's available. Yes. Don, if you had just one message that you could give our listeners, figure that's some are probably addicted currently. Some may be former addicts. Some know someone who's addicted and aren't exactly sure how to handle it. But just if you had a message, what would it be? My, my, my message would be that, um, especially for the person who's struggling and addicted, uh, to keep uh, getting back on your feet, to keep coming back to whatever it is that gives you hope and strength uh, and, and, and to not give up, you know. And uh, for those who, you know, uh, are, are, are dealing with a, a loved one uh, who is struggling, um, for me, hearing the message that I, I, I was worthy, you know, my dad would tell me, you know, you, 
you're a good person, Don. You just need to believe that yourself, you know, and, and, and planting those seeds, you know, um, that helped me, you know, and, and, and really for me, you know, um, love, you know, just knowing that love was real, that it existed was what ultimately I gave me the hope in my darkest hour that, that this would, I could get through it. And so it's not easy to love, you know, sometimes it's hard to love and, uh, but keep especially love yourself. Yeah. Especially yourself, you know, but, um, so, to, and that's what it's all about, you know, really to keep loving that person and showing that however, whether it's a, a tough thing or, or a, however, whatever form that takes and for the person to, to, to somehow learn to love themselves. And it, it boils down to that because a person who loves themselves will not abuse themselves, you know, and, and that's what it boils down to. That's awesome. Don, thank you so much for being willing to share your story. It's not an easy story, and I admire you for being willing to share it with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for having me on, and uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here. What an emotional story. Emotional for me because I just can't even conceive of a nine-year-old getting or 10 year old getting into drugs like he did and it breaks my heart how young he was but also emotional because of his realization that he is a really good person and deserves to have a good life and look at what he's done with his life if you're watching if you're listening and you're addicted you are important and you deserve to have a good life and you need to realize that. And if you have a loved one who's addicted, you need to get them into treatment. You're not going to be able to give them that realization. But the sooner you get them into treatment so that they can come to their own realization, the better. We're heading towards the holidays. It is the worst time of year for people addicted. It is the worst time of year for friends and family of addicts because they think that they can just wait until after the holidays and that they'll make it through the holidays. It's not going to be good. I'll tell you that right now. So please get your loved one into treatment. If you're addicted, get into treatment. And if you can just help with this whole pandemic, think of a way to help. We all need to get on board. We all need to help end the drug addiction pandemic. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.